This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Well, we are back, and I am here with our trusted contributors from the Canadian Cancer Society. One in nine. And that's the number of women who will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime here in Canada. On average, 70 Canadian women diagnosed with breast cancer every day. More of the numbers here. It's estimated that in 2016, the, num- the year that's ending, 25,700 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, 26% of all new cancer cases in women 4,900 women will die of breast cancer, and that represents 13% of all cancer deaths in women. So October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We want to hear from you about your experience with breast cancer or if your life was touched by a loved one's experience with the disease. And we also want to talk about what you should be doing to protect yourself, to prevent it, to detect it very early. We want to hear about your questions about survivorship. I'm here with Susan Flynn, the Senior Manager of Cancer Prevention at the Canadian Cancer Society Ontario Division, and Dr. Kelly Fathers, who is the Research Communications Manager. Ladies, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, first of all, um, one of the main messages in Breast Cancer Awareness Month is screening. And, you know, over recent years, there have been some kind of contradictory reports about screening. So um, how often and at what age should women start being screened? So here in Ontario, we recommend that women begin, women who are at average risk, I should point out, uh, begin getting screened at the age of 50 and get a mammogram every two years until they turn 69. And after that, have a conversation with their doctor about the benefit of ongoing screening. And uh, how do you know if you are at average risk or if you are at higher risk? Well, having a family history would put you at a higher risk, or having had breast or cancer when you're younger, a different type of cancer, would also put you at risk. Uh, other than that, you don't know, but um, certainly the risk of developing breast cancer increases with age. So, for example, 80% of women over the age of 50 are diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, hormones, especially estrogen, can increase with uh, the risk, and other risk factors could be having dense breasts. Um, alcohol uh, is highly related to breast cancer and being overweight. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if you want to get mammograms at a younger age, if you think you need it, uh, the, do you recommend, what, a conversation with the doctor or what? Yes, we would recommend that if you're... Um, you know, under 49, that you talk to your doctor about the risks and benefits of mammography for you. 
Okay. Uh, I want to talk about uh, some of, of the numbers. Uh, so breast cancer, the, the survival rate now for breast cancer, and that's measured in a five-year increment, is 87%. That's correct. So that's pretty good. We are doing pretty good. And, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the increase in screening and better treatments that have allowed us to increase survival rates. So uh, back in the, I believe it was uh, 25 years ago, the survival rate was 73%. So we have come up in the last 25 years. But I think it is important to notice, too, especially being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, that, you know, that 87% 87% survival rate is over as a whole, uh, as a whole, I should say. And that, you know, when we do look when cancer is spread, breast cancer is spread to other parts of the body, such as uh, lung, liver, bone, and brain, that survival rate can decrease down to about 20%. And that's why it's very important that, you know, we continue to do cancer research to look at the biology of how cancer has spread to try and develop better treatments for these women who have cancer that has spread through the body. Um, yeah, we uh, actually, we did a segment here on metastatic breast cancer day. And uh, I know that the women, women who are diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer also feel very neglected and very alone because uh, most of the messaging around breast cancer is, is you know, optimism and I'm going to beat this and you have to have a good attitude. And, and they feel so both in terms of their options for treatment, but also in terms of psychologically, it's it's a very difficult spot to be in. Right. And as a researcher myself, I actually did my PhD studying how breast cancer spreads th- through the body. And I can say that this is a really active area of research that maybe isn't as um, promoted as much, but it definitely is an area that is ongoing. There are several Canadian researchers studying this uh, in Canada, but also worldwide as well. And, uh, you know, I would encourage women as well to talk to their doctors about the possibility of of clinical trials as well, if they do have metastatic breast cancer. I know that we support the Canadian Clinical Trials Group here in Canada, and they do have several clinical trials ongoing for metastatic breast cancer. Well, clinical trials are are very important altogether. And I guess one bit of good news is that here in Canada, um, People go into clinical trials more than in other places, and often the motivation is very altruistic uh, to help others, but also, um, you know, it can be very useful. I have a a friend, uh, she lives elsewhere, and uh, when she was diagnosed with cancer, she she had a, a bad kind of breast cancer, and it was put into a trial, and knock whatever that is, she's been cancer-free for more than five years. Um, I didn't go into a clinical trial, but I'm also a breast cancer survivor. Uh, I had breast cancer more than 10 years ago now. So, um, you know, it, it, it really is uh, the increases, the, the improvements in, uh, in treatments that are helping people so much. I'm going to give the numbers out again because, again, uh, we want to hear from you about your experiences with breast cancer. If you have questions about treatment, if you have questions about survivorship, because uh, there are all kinds of other issues that that crop up. Um, if 
some people are a little bit physically impaired afterwards if they've taken lymph nodes or uh, it can be psychologically very difficult. You lose your hair in chemotherapy or if you've had a breast removed. The number is 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'm here with our trusted contributors from the Canadian Cancer Society, Susan Flynn, the Senior Manager of Cancer Prevention, and Dr. Kelly Fathers, who is the Research Communications Manager. Um, Do you feel that the message about screening has gotten through? Are are, um, enough women who should be screened, in fact, getting screened? Uh, No. Uh, Currently, there is a lot of improvement that can happen in terms of women getting screened. I think we're around 66% of women, 68% uh, women of screening age uh, who are eligible are not getting screened. So, you know, it's important uh, to understand that the earlier that cancer is found, the easier it is to treat. And uh, we would urge women to uh, be very familiar with their breasts, what they look like, and, and uh, you know, so that they notice if there's a change in terms of the nipple or if there's a persistent lump that doesn't go away, um, the color, the shape, the size of the breast, and talk to their doctor immediately if they notice any change. Why do you figure that, that women who are eligible for screening are not getting the screening? Is it, is it just uh, kind of laziness or, or they haven't heard? What, what's the explanation? I think it's that, you know, we really need to get the message out there. I think that uh, particularly for women who are now of screening age, uh, the pervasive message used to be if you find a lump, that's the time to start worrying. And that's not the case anymore. We haven't been um, advocating that for a long time. Really, the most important thing is if you're 50 and over is to get screened. Uh, By the time you can feel a lump or your doctor can feel a lump, the breast cancers are often often quite advanced. And so that will mean harsher treatment, longer recovery, more impact on the family and on your livelihood. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, So... It's important to get diagnosed early, but but one of the problems is that there are some um, cancer or pre-cancer that um, are found that may never bother you, but if they're found, they're treated. That whole syndrome is called overtreatment. What do you say to women about that? Well, we do know that uh, that type of pre-cancer we call DCIS yep. or ductal carcinoma in situ. And, and it's true when they are found at this point, we don't know which ones will go on to become cancer and which ones won't. And there is research that's ongoing to try and figure out which ones of these will become cancer and which will not. But uh, I think as Susan alluded to, though, I, at this stage, uh, screening uh, for DCIS is the best thing to do. Uh, and uh, Susan, I'll, I'll let you take in on the on the messaging that we have around that. Uh, uh, yes, okay, thank you, uh, Kelly. So one of the things that we notice is that uh, women are more likely to get this misdiagnosis when they get mammograms under the age of 50. So it's, um, there's more likelihood that a lump will be found that might never have developed into breast cancer, and it's treated or that, uh, and the important thing there is that 
uh, most physicians and specialists will still, still say, although you may treat something that didn't need to be treated, it's still important they will treat it. They won't take that risk that it's going to get larger. It's going to metastasize, which again leads to much harsher treatment and uh, much longer recovery. Okay, uh, we have got to take a quick break. We're talking about breast cancer. We want to hear from you about your experience, whether it's you or a friend or a loved one. The statistics are, are pretty, uh, pretty, pretty uh, shocking. One in nine. You look around the room, one in nine. It's uh, the ladies at your table at lunch, one of you. Uh, so we're here to talk about that because this is uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I'm here with our trusted contributors from the Canadian Cancer Society. Uh, the numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. We're taking a quick break, and we will be back with more on this and with your calls. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I'm here with our trusted contributors from the Canadian Cancer Society. We're talking about breast cancer. It is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We want to hear from you, and let's go right to the phones. We've got Joan in Orangeville. Hello, Joan. Oh, hello. Uh, shall I turn off my radio? Oh, yes, turn it off. I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't think I'd get on so quickly. I'm going to grab another phone. Okay, Hi there. go ahead. Hi. Maybe I spoke with you a week ago about the uh, the family history of breast cancer. And just this comment that was made about uh, getting your mammograms regularly or once you find a lump, then it could be a little bit more scary, more yep. worse, worse, should we say. So I found my lump. Um, I went to the doctor, and well, I had the surgery and everything. And I said, uh, I asked. I always ask a million questions. What do you? Th- how long do you think this has been, you know, in there and, and growing? And they said, Oh, at least two years, maybe more. Now my point is, I got because I carry the BRC. A1 gene, BRCA1 gene. Um, I got my mammograms at 50, maybe before, because uh, I had my breast cancer at 51. Um, I got them regularly um, from years ago with back-to-back ultrasound they started giving me, the ultrasound. Now, it wasn't detected. Yep. That is very scary when you say, you know, get a lump. Actually, my daughter, too, found her own lump, and now she both her breasts are gone. But I mentioned all that about my family. But that's what I wanted to say was, yes, um, it wasn't found anyway. It wasn't detected. That is even more scary. You know, what, it, what do you think? Well, you know, it's the also the, the technology has improved. I have to say that I had two mammograms six weeks before I found my lump. Okay. And so part of that is when you, I mean, first of all, I wasn't, uh, you know, when the experts uh, went over my mammograms, they saw it. But I was just, you know, getting it done at a clinic. And, you know, when you're younger, and if you have dense breasts, it's harder to look at. But but the equipment has gotten better, because uh, now they have di- digital mammograms, and they see things better. So that much, I guess, is good news. Is there anything you'd like to add to that, Dr. Fathers? Well, I do agree with you. 
that, uh, you know, the technology that we're using is improving each and every day. Um, you know, unfortunately, yes, uh, with some cases, things may not be picked up right away. But I think when we talk about it overall, um, when we're looking at it from, from the general public perspective, that this is kind of the best route to do. It's it's not perfect. Not, no screening tool is 100% perfect. Right. But, uh, you know, we have to look at how the, the benefits do uh, outweigh some of the risks. Yeah. Okay, Joan, thank you very much for your call. Uh, Libby, may I say one little thing here? Sure. Um, with, um, I forgot to mention that because there were so many in the history, I think, when I spoke with you last week of our breast cancer. Um, my daughter, at age 45, had both her breasts removed. She carries the gene. Uh, but no, can- she doesn't have cancer. She did that for the sake of because every so many can- breast cancer in our family. Oh, that's... My niece, my sister, who lost both her breasts at age 32, I mentioned that to you last week, her daughter um, had both her breasts removed a year ago she, at age 35 for the same thing. She carries the gene, but she didn't want to go through the breast cancer. They both have young families. And um, I, I missed saying that last week, and I thought that was very, very important that, you know, that they, that they did this, that I should mention this. And oh, I thank okay. you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Uh, just uh, one note about that is that uh, this lady uh, and her family, they carry what is called the breast cancer gene, and, and um, that is a possible way of dealing with it. Uh, unfortunately... Uh, especially since Angelina Jolie, who was so famous, did the same thing because she also carries this this genetic mutation. Uh, there have been a lot of cases of unnecessary double mastectomy because, I mean, if if you don't carry this gene, it's not something that's recommended because um, even if your breast cancer comes back, it's not likely to come back in the other breast. That's right. Uh, you know, often... When celebrities, something happens to a celebrity, it's good in that it raises awareness um, about the issue, gets people talking and thinking about it. But it can sometimes have adverse effects with people, you know, electing for a double mastectomy when they mightn't need it. However, you know, given all of the information, it's important that that women can make that choice. Yeah. what they feel is right for them. It's important that the patient is always included in um, a discussion around their diagnosis, their treatment, and their ongoing care. Absolutely. Uh, Let's go to Vera in Burlington. Hello, Vera. Hi, how are you doing, Libby? Fine, how are you? Good, good. I'm first-time caller. Oh, (laughs) welcome. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Right. I just want to say, you know, that <clears throat> don't have to be so scared when you get the diagnosis and, and stuff because I am a proof of it. In this spring, I was 30 years survivor of breast cancer. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And I just come back now from physical this morning, actually, and my mammogram was fine because I get mammogram every year, you know. Yep, absolutely. So I just had a lumpectomy and radiation, and like I said, I'm fine. Uh, that's very good to hear. We like stories like that. That's it. That's what I say. Okay. Enjoy the life. Enjoy the sunshine. Go outside and enjoy the day. Uh, and don't think about it, you know. And I just, you know, I just started living the same as I did before. and Sort of put it on the burner. And I tell you, I'm glad I did. And, uh, you know, and um, I'm good. Okay. Thank you very much, Vera. Congratulations. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, so... There's a great story, somebody who recovered a long time ago and, and seems to have had 
no side effects, but it can happen that people do have side effects. Susan, I think you were just telling me about a friend of yours. Yes, a friend of mine who, um, you know, was, was uh, had surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy and is um, almost five years free of cancer. However, uh, because she was diagnosed at quite a late stage, um, the uh, side effects of chemotherapy, which can be different for every woman and can depend on the type of chemotherapy drugs that you're taking, are things that she will have, um, you know, for the rest of her life. And, uh, you know, again, as I, as I mentioned, she was diagnosed quite late. Uh, if you have routine screening, uh, starting at the age of 50, and the lump can be found or the uh, cancer when it's small, it can be very easily treated, uh, just as Vera was saying, with uh, maybe a little surgery, some radiation, um, and also catching it before it begins to metastasize, which is, is very when important. the mm -hmm. uh, malignant tumor starts to move uh, around the breast or to different parts of the body. And so early detection really is key. Yeah, I, uh, a friend of mine, uh, also she was recently diagnosed and um, she had surgery. She's about to have radiation. It was stage one. Uh, you know, she's taken a little bit of time off work, but been basically there. She's she's been able to basically go on with her life. It's it's a horrible, crappy experience, but uh, it's it's not as bad as it could have been because it was discovered at stage one. And I think it's more. You know, as as we are uh, in Canada anyway looking at a huge aging population over the next 20 to 30 years um, and breast cancer being diagnosed largely in women over 50. I think we will see more breast cancer cases. However, as you were saying, with improved treatment and care and early diagnosis, we will see more and more women living uh, long, productive, healthy lives after breast cancer. Yeah, I think this. there were new statistics that just came out a week ago, and I think they expect uh, the number of cases to triple in the next, I don't know, 30 years or something. Um, let's go to uh, Steve in Brampton. Hello, Steve. Oh, hi, Debbie. Uh, first of all, I want to say I, had, I taped your program, your TV program. Oh, thank you. And it was uh, very moving. I don't know how anyone who has lived, gone down that path, either, either as a patient or a caregiver, couldn't be affected by some of what was, well, almost everything that was in there. I, I certainly identified with your husband and Moses because I was a caregiver. But yep. on the subject of clinical trials, <clears throat> and I, my sister is a breast cancer survivor. Yep. I lost my wife in March to cancer. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. my is currently dealing with a terminal brain tumor, but uh, with my sister, my sister was actually one of the last people in a clinical trial where they placed uh, radioactive pellets in the breast as opposed to traditional uh, radiation. Yep. And she's done very well. I think she's coming on to seven years now. Uh, my wife uh, had the same kind of cancer as Rob Ford. Oh. And there were a number of clinical trials going on, but and the point I want to make is not everyone is eligible for a clinical trial. In order for uh, my understanding, anyway, and maybe your guest can help me, that, is that in order for a clinical trial to have relevance when it's done, you have to obviously have a certain criteria in selecting candidates for it. And every she was particularly interested in a clinical trial where they injected uh, something right into the tumor. I, she looked at so many things; she just wore me out. But uh, 
Anyway, the doctor down at Mount Sinai said, no, you're not a candidate. You're not healthy enough. Or, um, but there was always a reason why she was not a candidate for the clinical trials that she, she particularly was interested in. So I think the point that I want to make or better understand, maybe the listeners want to understand, is just because you are interested in participating in a clinical trial doesn't guarantee you a place in that trial. You're right. That is correct, actually. Um, Yes, uh, every clinical trial has a certain criteria. So they're looking for patients that fit a certain um, a, a certain criteria for for trying to to assess whether the the treatment the new treatment that they're trying to uh, carry out will work or not. So yes, I think uh, it's great to look into clinical trials if you are interested in it. But you ultimately have to talk to your oncologist to see if there is a clinical out there that is right for you. Yeah, that yeah, they they have criteria. I remember um, when I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, I wanted to try an experimental drug, and I couldn't get it. Even though it was targeting the gene that I had, they were testing it on women with breast cancer, so I couldn't get it. Yeah. And I always kind of hoped, because, because my wife had been through traditional chemotherapy and decided she was not doing any more of that, I always hoped that she would try something else. But And w- where the clinical trials were concerned, I thought, well, I understand you have to have a result that you can analyze at the end of a trial. So you have to have some kind of uh, uh, criteria around your candidates. But I often kind of crossed my fingers and said, well, maybe they would give it to her outside of the trial. Well, sometimes they do do that. Sometimes they will give you a drug uh, on a compassionate basis. But I think it's up to the drug company. Am I right? I believe so. I Actually, I believe back in the days when Herceptin was going through clinical trials, that is a a drug to treat certain types of breast cancer. Um, I believe that when women found out about it and heard that they couldn't get into the clinical trials, that there was um, so much, um, I guess, so much, such a big movement to get involved with it that the pharmaceutical company actually did, I believe, and I, I may be mistaken, uh, offer it up to additional people. Um, but again, it, it really is um, up to, it's best to talk to your doctor uh, about the clinical trials and, and to see what kind of options you have. Oh, well, we did. We, we were yeah. talking about clinical trials way, way back yeah. before, even when she began her first regimens of chemo, because that was always something that yeah. I wanted to know about because I knew it was going to be a tough road. And it's, you know what, it's it's also uh, from an emotional point of view, if, if, you know, you're running out of options and you see a clinical trial and you're told that you can't get into it, that can be very, very difficult. And sometimes they don't want you if you've had other treatments, sometimes you have to have had other treatments. No, there's a, there's a variety of reasons. Yeah, they, sure. I mean, it depends on the trial and the drug. So uh, it's, you know, but it, it can be really tough because, you know, especially with a difficult cancer like your your wife obviously had, and I'm thank you for sharing your story. Um, it's, you know, you know, you're looking, you're putting your hope into something. And even if there's no indication that it might work, you kind of need something to put your hope into. You get you, yeah, you're, it's, it's about attitude. It's like... Uh, when your hope is gone, everything is gone. Yep. Uh, Steve, thanks for your call. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye.
by. Uh, we have uh, less than a minute left. Ladies, what would you like to leave us with? Um, I think for me, although I know I sound like a broken record, really encouraging women who of average risk, so who have no family history of breast cancer or uh, to really uh, start getting screened at the age of 50 and go back and get screened every two years. So it's also important to say that you have to do it every two years. You don't just say you got screened once um, because uh, the earlier that breast cancer is detected and treated, uh, the, you know, the faster you can get back with your life. Kelly? Uh, I would say if anyone would want any more information, um, you know, about any issues they have in survivorship or about clinical trials, just to check out the website, cancer.ca, or call our Cancer Information Service. Okay, ladies, thank you very much for that. Uh, our trusted contributors from the Canadian Cancer Society. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.